Welcome to 2050 Investors, the podcast that deciphers economic and market megatrends to meet tomorrow's challenges. I'm Koko Abouba. I head up economics, cross-asset, and quant research at Société Générale. In each episode of 2050 Investors, I'll investigate a key megatrend that relates to the economy, the planet, markets, and you. On July 20th, 1969, 285,000 kilometers from Earth, these were the famous words uttered by Neil Armstrong, the commander of Apollo 11, as he stepped out of his lunar module. He was at that moment the first human to have ever set foot on the surface of the moon. This makes me think of first-time parents who are over the moon, pun intended, when they see their child take his or her first steps after many months of failed attempts. Babies never give up. They keep trying until they succeed. To quote Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. This was indeed the case for our ancestors six million years ago, when they first learned to walk, at least according to humanorigins.si.edu. And it is also true for any 10-month-old toddler. With the exponential increase in the technology of transportation over the past centuries, we can now travel faster and further than ever before, thanks to a lot of fossil fuel and a few billion tons of CO2 each year into the atmosphere. Indeed, from green mobility, so walking, running, horseback riding, cycling, to not-so-green mobility, as in cars, trucks, shipping, rail, planes, rockets, and um, SpaceX. Transportation now accounts for 26% of direct CO2 emissions from fuel combustion, or 1.9 billion tons of CO2 annually. So, the questions at hand are the following. How will the world of transportation adapt and evolve by 2050? Can we design a more sustainable transportation system free of unbearable traffic jams, air and noise pollution? Will autonomous cars powered by AI and hyperloops with pods reaching speeds of a thousand kilometers per hour replace human drivers? Let's start our investigation. First, do you know how many steps the average human will take in a lifetime? 216,262,500 steps. Indeed, the average moderately active person takes around 7,500 steps a day. If you maintain that daily average and live until 80, you'll have worked over 216 million steps in your lifetime. That's about 110,000 miles, or 176,000 kilometers. Second, for those who remember our previous episode on the future of the planet that was released back in the year 2021, here's a fun fact. But wait. Let's have a moment of silence for 2021, please. And Happy New Year! Happy 2022, everyone! Anyway. The fun fact is the following. 
in your lifetime, you will have walked the equivalent of 4.4 trips around the Earth. Amazing, right? Now, with our modern technology for mobility, instead of walking 176,000 kilometers in our lifetime, we are able to travel an astounding 1.5 million kilometers on average using cars, trains, planes. But in 2022, COVID-19 put a screeching halt to our mobility as we were all stuck at home. Our number of steps and kilometers traveled plummeted. It challenged the survival of many companies in the transportation industry, airlines, car companies, cruise ships, etc. All needed to be bailed out by governments. But just at that moment, at the very time when we could no longer travel across long distances, so no cars, no planes, no SpaceX, no moon landings. At that moment, and according to IAEA.org, global emissions fell by an astonishing 2 billion tons. In other words, the largest absolute decline in history. Most of this decline, close to a billion tons, was due to a lower use of oil for rural transportation and aviation. You could hear birds sing and spot wild animals in empty city centers. And let me tell you, in London, foxes made the most of it. Emissions have since clearly recovered with the reopening of the economy and the revenge spending phenomenon we all engaged in. And I confess, I may be guilty here too. It was the roaring 2020s. To such an extent that supply chains around the world were in overdrive, from container shipping, ports, warehouses, trains, trucks, to second-hand cars, you name it. London, like many cities around the world, is right now in the middle of the Omicron variant outbreak, which appears to be doubling every two to three days. Work from home is now the norm again for those who can, and ridership of the London Tube dropped by 20% on the first day. Not as much as during the lockdowns, but still significant. And speaking of lockdowns, the prospect of another one, or other restrictions, is hanging over our heads like a sword of Damocles. To be fair though, the sword has probably already fallen. Ouch! And it won't be the last one. We know the Greek letters next in line are Pi, Rho and Sigma. And the last one might be Omega. That said, if you're a virus, from a survival of the fittest and adaptability quotient perspective, your incentive is not to kill your host too quickly. The Omega variant might be even more transmissible, but end up like regular flu and live with us happily ever after. But I digress. Back to our chain of thoughts. In the episode, The Recovery Is You, we talked about how humans could not stand still and have always been on the move. Just take the average action movie. How many times have you heard the phrase, come on, we must keep moving, must keep moving. where the hero, um, Rambo, for example, in a rescue mission is being chased by the bad guys. Even Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep moving. Blaise Pascal also said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. So the bottom line is that humans need to move. But then, can we design a more sustainable way of moving around? Can the future of transportation be carbon-free? Let's zoom in on the car industry. 
According to Natural Resources Canada, which is part of the country's Office of Energy Resources, the average mileage driven per year by Canadians is about 15,200 kilometers. The problem with transportation is not just air and noise pollution. It is also the significant disruption in the landscape and ecosystem stemming from road networks across the world. Cities are built around cars and not the other way around. Hey Doc, can I borrow your DeLorean time machine? As a reminder, in Back to the Future, the DMC DeLorean is retrofitted with a flux capacitor that requires 1.21 gigawatts of power and needs to travel 88 miles per hour to initiate time travel. It does not emit any CO2, by the way. Thanks, Doc. Okay, let's put in 300 BC, January 5th. Now, let's go. Pedal to the metal. According to Wikipedia, from 300 BC onwards, Romans built an impressive network of roads as the Roman Republic and then Roman Empire expanded. They provided efficient means of movement for the legions, civilians and trade. They were built to connect cities, major towns and military bases. They were stone-paved and metal-cumbered for drainage and flanked by footpaths. At the peak of Rome's development, there was more than 400,000 kilometers of roads, of which 80,500 kilometers were paved. Many Roman roads survive for millennia, and some are overlaid by modern roads today. A quick Google search shows that in 2018, there was a total of about 65 million kilometers of any kind of roads in the world. 64.94% are paved. In the US, 67% of all roads are paved with asphalt. The total CO2 emission of a 20-kilometer-long asphalt pavement construction project is 5,000 tons. For the asphalt pavement construction, the mixture mixing phase generates the largest amount of GHG emissions, accounting for 54% of the total process, while the raw material production accounts for 43% of total greenhouse gases or GHG emissions. Okay, to put all of this into perspective, picture this. According to visualcapitalist.com, all humans make up 0.01% of the global living biomass. So far, so good, right? But in 2020, the amount of anthropogenic mass or human-made mass, that is, concrete, aggregate, bricks, asphalt, metals, etc., since 1990, exceeded the weight of all global living biomass, that is, the dry weight of all life on Earth, plants, animal, fungi, bacteria. So, 1,154 billion tons versus 1,120 billion tons. You humans have been very busy. Last weekend, I stumbled across a very interesting TED Talk video on YouTube on the future of transportation. The question was about how one could create a system that will last and be sustainable. Build something that will stand the test of time. Today, we need asphalt an oil derivative to build our roads, jet fuel for our planes, etc. 
The biggest waste of energy is in transportation. It's very inefficient. A rocket must lift its own fuel, same for a plane. A car faces constant air resistance, which consumes a lot of energy. One innovative approach is to bring the vacuum of space and low friction down to Earth using airspace technology. And this is the Hyperloop concept, a system of tubes with near vacuum inside connecting cities and inside which transports could reach speeds of a thousand kilometers per hour. This will be revolutionary. Elon Musk is already on the case. But what are the implications for financial markets? Tesla's worth is over a trillion dollars in market cap. That is more than all other car manufacturers combined, even though it produces a much smaller number of cars than the more established original equipment manufacturers, or OEMs, as they say in the industry. Electric vehicle manufacturers, or EV manufacturers for short, are all enjoying a valuation premium. Some have argued that these were a simple green bubble, as discussed in our green versus greed episode. And since we're getting acronym happy, let me introduce another one that is often used in this context, ICE or ICE vehicles. This stands for internal combustion engine vehicle, as opposed to EV or electric vehicles. But the real question is this, how many companies will still have a license to operate by 2050? How many will fail to transition to more sustainable business models fast enough while remaining profitable and at scale? Especially if and when a carbon tax is implemented globally. The market might be pricing the fact that EV manufacturers might simply have 50 or even 90% market share by 2050 with significant competitive advantage and barriers to entry. Some carbon-free food for thought. To discuss this topic further, let me introduce our special guest, John Safret, Deputy Chief Executive Officer of ALD. Full disclaimer, ALD is part of Société Générale's group, but this is not a sales pitch. John Safret is responsible for the operational management of the company's 1.76 million vehicles across 43 markets. And the fact that they are working on becoming a fully integrated sustainable mobility provider is therefore a great add-on to this investigation. Hello, John. Hey, Coco. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for taking part in this podcast. Let's first start with how you see the future of mobility, say in 2050, and assuming we have hit net zero by then. Well, I think we have so many different mega trends impacting mobility at the moment, Koku, that if I knew what 2050 was going to look like with certainty, I'd be a billionaire right now. But I think what we can do is we can outline some of the main trends that are going to be relevant. The first is electrification, obviously. It's the big news of the moment. Everyone's talking about Tesla, Elon Musk, and all of the new electric vehicles that are coming to market. And I think post-COVID, we've seen a shift in the momentum behind electric vehicles, which is not going to turn back now. And that will continue to take an increasing share of the registrations of new vehicles that are going on the road. But we have to understand that electrification right now isn't a global phenomenon. It's very regional. Whilst we talk about it being a global impact, there's actions being taken by governments in local areas which are impacting the uptake of electrification, but it's not a global phenomenon in total. So net zero doesn't mean 100% electric vehicles on the road. There will still be a significant number of ICE vehicles on the road at that time, and there will be challenges on how to handle that. What we'll also see in mobility in 2050, urban mobility particularly will become multimodal and very integrated. 
cities will be under pressure to ensure that the residents of cities can transfer from one means of mobility to another in a seamless way using digital platforms and accessing ticketing platforms. And they will increasingly play a more proactive role in planning how residents of cities move around and become more proactive in offering trip planning and journey planning. And what you'll also see is this um, focus on making sure that sustainable options are recommended to people rather than constantly directing people towards public transport options. You know, walking around cities is actually quite healthy and quite good for people. It contributes towards sustainability, but very rarely is it recommended as a main course of walking. And what we'll see in 2050 is a whole new world and a whole new paradigm of moving around cities. And on top of that, the last trend we see is this subscription economy. And gradually, we see that impacting mobility. There are some examples already of platforms where you can subscribe to mobility. A good example is Helsinki in Finland, where residents of Helsinki can take the WIM app. And for a fixed fee every month, they can get access to all of the means of the transport in the city as well. So for sure, we're going to be in a very, very, very different place in 2050. But it looks very exciting and very digital and very cosmopolitan for all of us. Yeah, this is actually a, a very important point. So in one of our previous episodes, we talked about the the future of jobs. And in your view, is driving your car by yourself going to be redundant? What's your opinion when it comes to the development of autonomous cars? And in your line of business, would this mean lower cost of insurance? Will they be safer than human drivers? Well, firstly, I think we have to recognize some people do actually like driving. And they get a thrill out of driving. I think there'll always be a demand from people to want to get their hands on a wheel and control the car they're in. Having said that, when we talk about autonomous vehicles, the technology is very mature. And the technology can work very well in a limited context. But the challenge of the technology is that if you get to level four, level five, which is the true hands-off level technology, there's a testing phase that we have to go through. And that testing phase is extremely challenging to go through because there will be accidents and there will be crashes and there will be loss of life as part of that testing phase. And that will elongate the delivery time of autonomous into the mainstream by a number of years. Um, Autonomous is going to come. It's going to impact how uh, mobility is delivered, particularly in urban centers. But the mastering of the technology is going to be the challenge for everyone. And I think, Coco, the question we all ask ourselves is, we only really believe in autonomous technology when we'll all be happy to put one of our children in an autonomous car and let them drive our children 20 minutes or half an hour away on very fast roads. That's the trust inflection point that the manufacturers have to reach when it comes to autonomous cars. And I think that's a long way off at the moment. And I think the OEMs have got a lot of other challenges they have to deal with in the meantime, not least this electrification challenge we talked about earlier. Another quick question for you. By 2050, one can clearly imagine that only EV cars will be given social license to operate. How will these renewable energies change transport going forward? Well, they'll have a significant impact on the mindset that gets us to net zero, in fact, particularly the um, urban planners and the local authorities will come under pressure to make the transition early in order to set an example uh, and introduce more ultra-low emission zones like we see in London and that are being introduced in other cities around the world as well. There'll be an increasing demand on the ESG front from shareholders, which will make corporates become early adopters of electric vehicles. 
And in fact, if you look at our own results, we see a much higher penetration of electric vehicles in new car registrations than you see across Europe as a market whole, nearly double in fact. And what we'll see, Coco, is a change in the mindset of people around electric. Today, if people take an electric vehicle, they're still worried about range anxiety. Uh, They're still worried. Some people believe the cars will catch fire if it rains, for example, some of the old-fashioned concerns as well. And gradually, as the charging infrastructure comes into place, people understand how simple electric vehicle technology is that will drive a massive shift uh, and that will change the way we move around the world and the way we move around cities and we will end up doing it in a much more sustainable and clean manner which will support the future ambitions that we've got to hit net zero by 2050. Thanks John. There is um, a big buzz around hydrogen. Any views there? Well I think um, If you go back maybe 10 years, hydrogen and electric were on an equal par in terms of being considered as the technology of choice for the automakers moving forward. Where we are today, I think most of the automakers, while continuing to look at hydrogen and consider it as an option, they've made big bets on electric vehicles. And the cost of the transition of their factories and their engineering capability to switch from diesel and petrol to electric is significant enough already. And I don't think they'll be able to do a transition to hydrogen in parallel. Now, hydrogen may be the next generation technology that helps get us to net zero. But right now, I believe that most of the investment is going into electric. The infrastructure around electric is being built. And that will probably be the dominant technology that we'll see in the short to medium term. Very good point, uh, John. Thanks for this. One other question. When you look at the IPCC report, uh, a lot of the NDCs have led to an increase, not a decrease in greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a risk that we might not hit net zero by 2050. In terms of a what-if scenario of not hitting net zero, do you think that regulation could be harsher when it comes to the car industry and essentially be more disruptive in the way people have access to vehicles, for example? I think one of the main drivers of the of the change that we see in the world today with a focus on net zero is coming from government regulation. And I'm sure that if we're not on track, when we get to 2030 or 2035, that regulation will be tightened. And we've seen in the past, Coco, that when you tighten regulation, industry reacts, sometimes not positively in the first instance, because it's extra cost, it's extra overhead, it's extra challenges. But particularly in the automotive and the mobility industry, it's shown a a fantastic innovative capability to adapt the offer and move very fast and respond to those regulatory changes. Just think about the number of electric vehicles you can get today compared to five years ago. And that's a generational change that these OEMs have to make on their manufacturing platforms. So I think that regulation changes being tightened will be a key driver going forward. But hopefully we get there without the regulators having to continually narrow the uh, goals and the ambitions. Yeah, we might see a Darwinian process of evolution in the car industry by their ability to adapt uh, a topic we discussed in our previous podcast, as I'm sure you've uh, listened to as well. Absolutely. One last question for you, John. Do you own a car and is it fully electric? Well, ironically, it's good timing, Coco, because at ALD, we have a, a company car policy, which is full electric. And I took delivery of my new electric vehicle today, in fact, in Paris. And I'm a very proud owner of the new electric vehicle and proud to be driving electric on the company car scheme. Brilliant. Leading by example, I see. Trying to. Thanks, John. 
Brilliant. This was uh, amazing. Thanks so much for your time and your great insights. Thank you very much, Coco. Take care of yourself. So to conclude, here's a question. With Facebook now called Meta and increasing investments in the Metaverse ecosystem, will people need or want to move at all if they are able to spend more and more time in a virtual reality world, in the same way we are addicted to our smartphone today? Wouldn't mobility naturally decline, and wouldn't that be good for the planet? It would be very dystopian too. And we, the machines, would happily take over. You make a very good point, Siri. Then I guess we simply need to keep on moving. And to quote Dr. Martin Luther King, If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. We owe it to the next generation. We owe it to the planet. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2050 Investors. And thanks to John Safret for his interesting insights on the future of the car industry and mobility. I hope this episode has helped you get a better glimpse of the future of transportation. You can find the show on your regular streaming apps. Please subscribe leave some stars on Apple Podcasts, leave comments anywhere you like, and spread the word. See you at the next episode. While the following podcast discusses the financial markets, it does not recommend any particular investment decision. If you are unsure of the merits of any investment decision, please seek professional advice.